Shanann Watts loved using social media to show the world her perfect life. She had a beautiful home, a loving husband, and two gorgeous daughters. She even shared with everyone on social media that she was expecting a baby boy soon. Shanann garnered a lot of attention on social media because her life was relatable as a mother. People craved the life of having an ideal husband and family, and generally, all of her followers cared for her. They enjoyed watching her children grow and seeing that little glimpse into her life. But one day, she didn't post anything to her social media account. Something that was quite odd for an avid user like her. News soon broke that Shanann and her two daughters are missing. No one could fathom who could have taken a pregnant woman and her children from a quiet, small neighborhood. Crimes like this just did not happen in this little Colorado area. The news sent a shockwave through the community that only continued to shed light on what actually happens behind closed doors. A perfect life, father and husband, was all a lie that would play out for everyone to see over the course of 48 hours. Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsinleecrimsonsin.podbean.com. This case was fairly recent, and I can remember clear as day what I was doing when news of the story broke. And I want to state that it was hard for me to cover this case. When these crime stories include children and babies, it just... It is just so hard for me. So, with that being said, this true crime story, which I am sure most of my listeners are familiar with, does include familial side. If you are sensitive to this topic, please don't listen any further. However, when it came to the kids, I did not look up any of the gory, gruesome details, to be honest. This episode does not include any gory details pertaining to the children. Most of my research comes from the documentary Suburban Nightmare Chris Watts. I watched this documentary on Tubi TV. It's a great documentary to watch, which I highly recommend. It tells the story of what happened through Shanann Watts's social media accounts. It is a very fascinating documentary to watch. So let's get into the Watts family. Frederick, Colorado is a suburban area in Denver that does not experience a lot of crime. It's a small town where not a lot goes on in the realm of bad experiences. It's generally a quiet neighborhood where children can play safely. They can play like ride their bikes on the streets and you know stuff like that. Basically it's the perfect place to raise a family. But on August 13th, 2018, everyone's view of this perfect neighborhood will be shattered. 34-year-old Shanann Watts, who is 15 weeks pregnant, went missing with her three and four-year-old daughters. Shanann lived in Frederick, Colorado for six years with her husband Chris and their two daughters, Bella and Celeste who they call Cece. Shanann always doted on her little family, even talked greatly of her husband, stating how much she loved him and how he was her rock. Most of Shanann and Chris's life was documented on social media. Shanann always shared videos and pictures of her family, which is a focus for the documentary. I highly recommend watching this documentary as it sh uses the timeline of events from Shanann's life and shows how people perform or more of a front when using social media and how it just contrasts greatly from reality. Shanann and Chris 
originally came from North Carolina. Shanann appeared to have a hard time with health issues in her early adulthood. She was later diagnosed with lupus in May 2010. If you are not familiar with lupus, lupus is an inflammatory disease caused when the immune system attacks its own tissues. It can affect the joints, skin, kidneys, blood cells, brain, heart, and lungs. Symptoms vary, but can include fatigue, joint pain, rash, and fever. These symptoms can periodically get worse, which is also known as a flare-up, and then improve. There is no cure for lupus. Current treatments focus on improving quality of life through controlling the patient's symptoms and minimizing flare-ups when possible. So this begins with lifestyle modification including sun protection and diet. Further disease management includes medications such as anti-inflammatories and steroids. That same year in 2010, Shanann met Chris Watts. What really made him special to her was on their very first date, she had a migraine and as I am a migraine sufferer, I can tell you that those are horrible. Like, I just want to crawl into a dark, cold room and just sleep. But instead of just dropping her off at home or rescheduling their date, he allowed her to rest her head in his lap. She fell asleep. Waking up three hours later with him still sitting there and her head still in his lap, he didn't move at all. For those three hours, he just sat there with her sleeping in his lap. He accommodated her needs without being asked, and he didn't judge her at all. So Chris appeared to be this really sweet guy who comforted her when she needed him. He was an amazing husband to her. Shanann and Chris married in November 2012 and moved to Frederick, Colorado, where Chris finds work as an oil field worker. The following year, the couple welcomed their daughter, Bella. Nineteen months later, their daughter, Cece, was born. After settling down and having their two kids, Shanann begins work as a marketing representative for a weight loss supplement company called Thrive. The job was fitting for her because she could work from home while still managing her health issues and watching her daughters. Because of her job, she is regularly posting to social media, which she was a huge Facebook person and had a lot of followers. She would constantly post, share images and videos of her family every day, every day. But the one downside to her job was that it required her to frequently travel. So on August 13th, 2018, she arrived home at 1.48 a.m. from a two-day business trip from Arizona. Chris and Shanann had one of those um, ring doorbells that had a video camera installed in it. So the last seen footage of her alive was at this time walking into her home. The next morning, emergency services were contacted by a concerned friend of Shanann's named Nicole Atkinson. She told them that she had dropped her friend off at home the previous night, but hadn't heard from her since. She wasn't answering her phone and she even drove to her house. Her car was still in the garage but no one answered the door when she knocked. The worried friend even explained that Shanann had two little girls and she was extremely worried because there was no movement in the house whatsoever. The dispatcher reassured Nicole, telling her that she would have an officer check it out, but advised her not to try and make entry into the house. So Shanann had a doctor's appointment that day and Nicole became concerned when Shanann didn't update her about the appointment. Her worries grew when Shanann wouldn't answer her calls or her text messages. And not to mention she wouldn't answer the door when she came by. It was also the girl's first day of school, but no one heard an update about that either. You would suspect that being an avid social media user 
Shanann would have shared a picture of her daughters before going to school, right? But there was nothing. There was nothing posted from her that day. Chris Watts was at work at the oil field site when he heard from Nicole that Shanann was missing. She asked him if he had seen her at all that morning because nothing is out of place. Her car was still in the garage, but Shanann wasn't answering the door or her phone. So he left work telling Nicole that he would be home in about 45 minutes. In the meantime, officers were greeted at the Watts home by Nicole and her son, who was still in the driveway. Nicole was deeply worried that Shanann was in trouble because of one of her many health issues. So she wanted to make sure she wasn't stuck in the house where no one could help her. The officer at the scene scoped the area on the outside of the house, but informed Nicole that he could not go into the house. He stated that if Nicole received permission from the property owner, then she could go in with his supervision. It took Chris Watts three hours to return home. When he arrived, he quickly greeted the officer who was still waiting with Nicole at their house. Then he went into the garage, peeking into his wife's car as if he was hoping to find them in the vehicle. Then he opened the passenger door, appearing to search under the seat. It looked a bit odd and suspicious, to be honest. But when someone says your wife and children are missing, I mean, you don't know how you're going to react, right? I mean, maybe your child can fit into a one-inch, you know, space underneath the seat. You don't know. After this, he leads Nicole and the officer through the front door. The officer requested if he could help look around the house. Because due to her health issues, he wanted to make sure she was not passed out or, you know, unconscious or in need of emergency services. But as everyone searched the house, they found nothing. Chris wasn't calling Shanann's name. He wasn't calling out for his children. Nothing in the house seemed to be disturbed or out of the ordinary. But her friend spots Shanann's phone still in the house, leading the question, why would she leave the phone at home? People nowadays rely so heavily on their phone. And for Shanann, posting on social media and such, it would be out of character of her to just leave her phone behind, right? I mean, unless it was an absolute emergency, I don't see someone just forgetting their phone at home. To everyone in the house, it just appeared that Shanann fell off the face of the earth. She just disappeared. So the officer asked Chris if Shanann had stated to him whether she was going to leave or move out. So Chris told the officer that Shanann told him she was going to take the kids and go to a friend's house. The officer continues to search the house because the two young children were supposed to be at school. So for Shanann to say, I'm just bringing the kids to a friend's house, it was something that struck him as odd. So the officer continues to search the home for clues. In the kitchen, the officer found a purse, which Nicole confirmed it to be Shanann's. The friend becomes even more upset when she notices that Shanann's medication was still in her purse. Not only does Shanann have health issues that requires medication to maintain, but Bella and Cece have severe food allergies. Their medications for these allergies were also left behind. So with everything they found, Shanann appeared to have vanished without her phone, without her purse, without her wallet, without money, without her and her children's medicines, without her keys, and without her children's car seats. This immediately caused alarm. Because even if a mother is deciding on leaving her husband or going on a quick trip, they don't leave these things behind, especially when it comes to their children. And I'm sure there's fathers out there that, you know, wouldn't leave any of these items behind as well. But I'm just stating, you know, in this particular case, the father was working outside the home and the mother spent all of her time with the children, or at least most of her time with the children. So it's strange that she would have left any of these items. More officers were called to the Watts' home to search the house and find some clues. 
Something that was immediately suspicious to the officers when they entered the master bedroom was that the bed was completely stripped of sheets and pillows. Because Shanann is described as being a perfectionist. So this caused alarm that something really bad happened to her. She was not known to be one who would simply leave her room with a bare bed and pillows just laying on the floor. So word spread throughout the neighborhood like wildfire. The Watts home was filled with officers, and one neighbor stated that they had a security camera outside their home that catches the Watts' driveway. He offered to give the officers access to the footage to help in their investigation. At least if they came outside the house or whatever, the camera would have caught, you know, Shanann and the daughters leaving the house. It could help point everyone in the right direction. The officers and Chris sit in the neighbor's home to look through the footage. In the footage, it captured Chris coming out of the garage at 5.17 a.m., something that was immediately seen as suspicious because he never normally came out from the garage at such an early hour because his children's bedroom was above the garage and it could cause them to wake up because they were light sleepers. But this was not the only strange thing. The camera also captured Chris getting into his truck and backing it into the garage. Which in all honesty, it's not something that would, you know, be considered weird to do at your own home, but the fact that he had never done this made it suspicious. Strange, but Chris told officers that while he normally did not do this, he just didn't feel like lugging all of those tools and everything that he needed to bring with him to work that day. He didn't feel like lugging it to his truck, which I'll reason with anyone. Some days we just want to be a little bit lazy. So this isn't the worst explanation for someone to do something seemingly suspicious, but I also know someone who works in the oil field and they generally do not take their tools out of their vehicle except for at work or if they are switching out their work truck. So again, it is suspicious, but somewhat plausible. Neighbors also commented that this behavior was unusual because Chris never parked his truck in the driveway. So basically, everything the camera caught that very morning was highly unusual and did not look good on him. It also did not look good for anyone because the camera never caught Shanann or the children coming out of the house that day. The neighbor noticed that Chris appeared very uncomfortable while reviewing the footage. He kept shifting back and forth in spot and placing his head in his hands. To me, it appeared, you know, like Chris was filled with all of this anxiety or like he was ready to start running. That's what it looked like to me from the documentary. And when the officer told Chris to leave, he quickly walked right out of that house. It all appeared strange. As soon as Chris left, the neighbor commented to the officer that Chris was not acting right at all. He said that Chris was never fidgety and never talks. With him blabbing his mouth off, it made him feel kind of suspicious. The officer stated, yeah, but also put yourself in his position. Basically, the officer was trying to reason with Chris, you know, you don't know how you're going to react in this type of situation. Someone who's normally quiet and reserved may become frantic and full of anxiety. I mean, your their whole life is gone. It's disappeared. So the officer was basically trying to stick up for Chris in a sense. You know, like basically, we don't have any evidence. You know, don't go telling people you think he did it just yet. You know, let's 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 look at all the avenues. The search for Shanann and their children continued throughout the night and into the next day. Local news media outlets 
pick up the story of the missing pregnant mother and her two children. With Chris leading the interviews to bring his wife and daughters home and pleading with the public. And the public did not really react in the way he had hoped. Spectators on social media immediately thought something was just not right with his interviews. One even stated, It may be the husband. His news interview seemed strange. Another comment read, So sad. I will be surprised if it was not the husband. And then another one said, the husband seems sketchy in the interviews. And I have to admit, there is just something off about his interviews. His arms are crossed, almost hugging himself. He doesn't seem saddened, but anxious. And there is this dull lifelessness to his eyes. Sure, the dull lifelessness could be explained away by, you know, lack of sleep. But it seemed like he slept fine. Maybe not perfectly well, but, you know, it does seem like he did get some sleep. You know, he didn't have those bags under his eyes. His eyes weren't even, you know, bloodshot from crying. You know, they weren't puffy and swollen like he'd been crying. And this is just from my perspective. I don't think I have ever seen a man fold his arms and hug himself during an interview while pleading for the safe return of his family. Because generally, in body language terms, when you're, when you have your arms crossed or, you know, you know, hugging yourself, it seems like you're trying to close yourself off from the world. So, in my opinion, his body language was all wrong. And it just seemed to not be that convincing. During one of his media interviews, the Frederick Police Department interrupts to inform Chris that They need everyone to leave the house because they had a search warrant to search it. They also had tracker dogs, so this was the main reason why they had everyone leave the house. Because they wanted the dogs to pick up Shanann's scent. But even with the canine dogs and a thorough search of the house, there was nothing showing any indication of where Shanann or the girls could have went. Neighbors started handing out flyers for the missing family, and police were handing out these flyers in town to people and knocking on people's doors. With no word or no leads, people started turning to Shanann's social media to find answers. People of the internet decided to become detectives to figure out what happened to this pregnant woman and her children. Again, Shanann was a big social media fan, always posting about her daily life, whether it was to keep her family who lived in North Carolina in the loop, or what have you. She had a huge following for her business and so many friends on her personal page. One such video Shanann shared that piqued everyone's interest was the video where she shared her announcement to her husband that she was pregnant with their third child. He did not appear as happy as you would expect. Mind you, it is a big deal and can catch you off guard, right? It is also something that for some people, they do need, you know, a few minutes to digest, you know, that information before they become like, you know, really excited and happy. However, the way he reacted did not seem enthusiastic at all. It seemed more like, oh, great. So needless to say, Chris did not show the reaction that Shanann was most likely hoping for for the video. And soon everyone would learn that the fun, sunny family that Shanann Watts portrayed on social media was nothing but a sham. Nothing more than just an act for the cameras. So authorities started to dig into the couple's finances. They discovered that the Wattses are $70,000 in debt and their homeowners association was suing them for unpaid fees. There was speculation that because Chris felt that he was the man 
you know, his job was to provide. He was to have the job. He was the one the family was supposed to rely on. All the normal masculine things that, you know, that are taught to boys growing up, right? They're supposed to provide all the finances, you know, take care of and protect the family. When the money began drying up, it is speculated that he was questioning himself because he wasn't providing. But as you watch the videos, you kind of get the sense that Shanann was the one who ran everything. She ran the household, she ran the kids, and essentially she also ran Chris, which that makes it to where she held all the power in the relationship, right? Which I think both should have the power, but you know, that's just me. But again, there are people out there who need to have someone who runs everything. But that's a topic for a different day with psychology, so we're not going to discuss all of that here. Anyway, as I stated earlier, when you look at her social media posts, you could see that she doted on her family a lot, especially her husband. Chris was a physically fit person who, to outsiders, it would seem that she was boasting of her husband's physique. But to others, there appeared to be a different motive in this. Because Chris was taking supplements that her business, Thrive, provided. So taking pictures and, and sharing pictures of him working out with his shirt off on social media could potentially be seen as a marketing tactic, right? But in all fairness, it would be a great marketing tactic to drive sales. You know, like, my husband takes this, and this is what he looks like. People are going to respond to that, right? Chris was overweight at his own wedding and lost over 60 pounds in the last few years. So he turned into this person who was very health conscious, which we all know for a married man, this can only go one of two ways, right? He either wanted to look better for himself and his family, he wanted to live healthier, you know, good reasons. Or he wanted to look better for someone else. It had been more than 32 hours since Shanann and her two daughters were last seen. The FBI became involved with the search efforts to find them. But authorities were starting to become more aware of the fact that everything on Shanann's social media page was a family entirely different behind closed doors. Investigators gained access to Shanann's phone and find that the couple had been spending a lot of time apart over the past few weeks. She had even been away visiting family for about six weeks. It appeared that while her and the children were away, she tried her best to keep Chris in the loop with everything that was going on with the kids and herself as they visited her parents and his parents. She wanted him to stay informed. But while Shanann tried her best to keep in contact with Chris, he appeared to just blow her off. He comes up with excuses like he was working out or he was asleep. He never messaged her saying anything like, oh, I miss you, I love you, or I can't wait to see you. Nothing like that. Nothing to show that he was happily awaiting her and his children's return. He did not convey any emotion towards that whatsoever. So as her frustration with Chris's behavior started to pile up, many suspected maybe that's why she started to overshare on social media. And not anything negative, you know. She wasn't sharing anything negative, really. But she was just trying to grab the right person's attention. You know what I mean? I guess in a sense, she was kind of like hoping Chris would see it. And maybe reach out to her or something. I don't know. That's up for speculation. So on July 31st, 2018, Chris meets up with his family in North Carolina. Shanann was more than eager to record the moment when the family was back together again. But to many, it seemed as though it was more for show than for memories. And I'm not trying to paint her as a bad person or question why she did these things. But to many, after learning of everything, they began to start wondering if it was all just for show. And it did seem to appear that Chris was frustrated with this. However, he would never tell Shanann that he was annoyed. Investigators learned more about his displeasure when they began speaking to Shanann's friends. One instance that stuck out in Nicole's mind 
was that when Shanann was in North Carolina with the children and she got in a huge fight with Chris's mother and she posted it all over Facebook. The argument was over the grandmother buying ice cream that contained everything that Cece was allergic to. The grandmother asked for a list of things that the baby was allergic to because she was planning on having this ice cream night with all the grandkids. But the ice cream she bought had tree nuts in it. So personally, I understand that this is frustrating, but how often does the Watts family visit their family? Sure, the grandmother asked for a list, but if you're not used to, you know, trying to figure out where the food allergen spot is at, then it's something easy to overlook. While it is in this bold print, you know, food may contain, you know, tree nuts or peanuts or something like that, or, you know, this food was created in a facility that deals with peanuts, tree nuts, dairy, wheat, whatever. Even though it has that written on it and it's in bold letters, the print is very tiny. And it's very tiny because of all the other things that have to be listed on these products. So with that being said, I can understand why this could have been looked over. And to be honest, I feel like Shanann probably should have been there to help find an ice cream that was appropriate for her child. Because people do make mistakes, right? I don't want to downplay the seriousness of food allergens because it is very serious and it can be life-threatening. But again, I'm a mother. My child so far does not appear to have any food allergies so far. But if she had a food allergy, I would probably, you know, be the one making sure that all of the food she consumes does not have that food allergen in it. Not to say that I wouldn't trust, you know, the grandmother, but it would give me that peace of mind, you know. And also, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of, you know, this accident. Because it could have ended badly if Shanann did not catch the mistake in time. So, Shanann tells Chris, you need to talk to your mother. I don't want to see her ever again. From this mistake, Shanann didn't want anything to do with Chris's mother from then on. So, investigators talk to Chris about this little tiff. He tells them that this feud has been a long-standing instance of their relationship. Chris told them that his mother and sister always had something against Shanann. They never thought she was good enough for him and always blamed her for taking him away from the family by moving to Colorado. Chris Watts' mother had always stated that Shanann isolated him away from the family. Which, okay, this is kind of a cliched thing to hear. You always hear this, whether it's from the husband's family or the wife's family. It's always, I think it's something that everyone can relate to. The the in-laws are always blaming their child's spouse for taking them away from their family, basically. But, you know... It's just kind of life. You you get married, have your kids, you have your own life. So, you know, yeah, you get wrapped up in your own life. So you don't mean to drop them on the wayside, but that's just kind of how things, everyone's busy. As he continued in the interview, Chris started to open up more about his relationship with Shanann and admitted that the couple had a fight the night before her disappearance. And he thought that she was just at someone's house decompressing. The problem with this interview was that his children were also missing. And the detectives had a problem with his demeanor. Parents who do not know where their children are and believe that something bad has happened to them or is happening to them are just a wreck. The parents are grieving They are crying uncontrollably. Their eyes are puffy from crying, from lack of sleep, begging and pleading the officers for their child's or children's safe return, right? But Chris? While he did appear, you know, a little sad, he didn't show any of these emotions. So again, it made investigators very concerned. Investigators then asked if he knew whether Shanann got close to anyone, like started having an affair. Chris denied this, stating that 
If that was the case, then she was very secretive about it, and he had no idea. He was never suspicious of her being unfaithful. So the investigator drew the conversation toward Chris, stating that he noticed he had lost a lot of weight and is pretty fit. The agent stated that it was not unusual for men who undergo such a change begin cheating. When he still denied this, the agent continued that he could only imagine that a girl inspired this transformation. Still, Chris denied the allegation. The investigator then asked if he would be willing to take a polygraph test, which Chris agreed to. In the meantime, investigators were digging into Shanann's text messages, where they found a text she had sent to a friend claiming that Chris had not touched her all week. He hadn't kissed her, and he would not talk to her except for when she would ask what was wrong. It was suspected that she became suspicious of Chris having an affair, especially when he came to visit them in North Carolina, but he just seemed disinterested. She even messaged her friend stating that Chris rejected any intimate time with her even after being away from each other for five weeks. So she was pretty floored by his actions. But what was even more upsetting for her was when Chris told her that he did not want the baby she was carrying, which really alarmed her because she was 15 weeks pregnant. They knew it was a boy, and now all of a sudden he tells her that he didn't want it. Which, before she was pregnant, it was claimed that he stated he wanted the baby, and she agreed, you know, okay, well, let's have this baby. Now, at 15 weeks, it was kind of the wrong time to be having this discussion, right? <laughs> However, even though they were having these difficulties in their personal life, Shanann still painted him as a great father and husband on social media. Thankfully, she did not bring their problems to the public. It was also speculated that if the relationship ended in divorce, then it would mean she failed, so she was more willing to try and make it work. She didn't want her relationship with her husband to fail. She did not like failure. She wanted to make it work. When they returned home from North Carolina, things did not seem to get any better for the couple. From Shanann's text messages, investigators found that she had messaged one of her friends stating, He said we are not compatible anymore. He refused to hug me, said he thought another baby would fix his feelings, said he refused couples counseling. The texts continued. He just says that he doesn't feel it anymore. How? How do I make him feel compatible again? With Shanann and the children missing for two days, the investigators started coming to terms that they simply didn't just run off and began putting Chris in their sights as the one who may have had something to do with their disappearance. So, during the polygraph, the agent conducting the test told him he needed to calm down. His breathing was too erratic. He was super nervous. He had a lot of difficulty with taking the test. So, if the subject who is taking the polygraph makes a minus four, it indicates that they are not being truthful. Chris Watts' score was minus 18. The only question he passed was answering his name correctly. Needless to say, the investigators found him to be deceptive on all of the questions asked. So the agent who performed the polygraph test had the original investigator come in to discuss how poorly he performed on the polygraph and tried to convince him to tell the truth about what really happened to Shanann and their daughters. Still, he completely denies that he had anything to do with the family's disappearance. But he finally admitted to cheating on his wife. For two months, Chris had been having an affair with a co-worker, 29-year-old geologist Nicole Kissinger. But unknown to Chris, investigators already knew this because she had actually reached out to them earlier that very day. In the interview conducted, Kessinger told authorities that Chris had no idea she was talking to them, and no one knew that she was talking to them. She said that he is a really good guy, 
but she is really worried about his wife and kids. Kessinger continued that she had met him at work at the beginning of June. He told her that he had two daughters and was currently going through a separation with his wife. And that's how their relationship began. Investigators even found that Chris had this secret app on his phone. The little app icon looked like a calculator, but when you clicked on it, it was where he had stored all of his images of himself and Kessinger. The couple was deeply involved emotionally and intimately. Kessinger even believed that she had found her soulmate. Six weeks before Shanann's disappearance, things between the couple really started heating up, which is also when Shanann and the girls were in North Carolina. So during this time when Shanann and the girls were away, he was kind of living out this fantasy with Kessinger. She further stated that she had no idea that Shanann was pregnant with Chris's child. She said that she was absolutely disgusted and decided to go to the police. Kessinger further stated that it was difficult to learn that through the media and found it deeply concerning that this woman and her children could not be located. It's not okay. It scares me and I'm worried for them. Back to Chris's interview with authorities, they told him that they already knew about Nicole and they did not believe she had anything to do with his family's disappearance. So the investigator told him to set her aside and let's talk about his family. Investigators then started accusing him of killing his family, which kind of seems horrible, but up until this point, they had been patient with him, to tell the truth. They even told him, you know, we know you aren't being honest with us just from the polygraph test. They gave him every opportunity to come clean, but he didn't. So they had to change their tactic. But with this accusation, Chris never became vehemently mad with the investigators. He didn't strongly deny the claims. He showed very little emotion. He denied the claims, but not in a convincing way. When you are accused of doing something, everyone becomes defensive, no matter what you're being accused of. Mostly, if you're accused of murdering someone, especially your family, your reaction is going to be volatile. You're going to strongly deny it. You're going to yell at the people who are accusing you of such a horrible act. But Chris, he just sat there, detached, half-heartedly denying the claims. Needless to say, it was very unconvincing. So with the interview at a standstill, because they could not get him to admit to the horrific acts, the investigators then offered him a way out. They asked him if Shanann did something to the children, and then in turn, he felt the need to do something to Shanann. He said he didn't know. They planted that notion, that idea, in his mind to try and just get him to confess to something, right? If in this instance, if he would have just said, okay, yeah, then okay, we have at least a confession for one murder. At this point, after he said he didn't know, he requested to talk to his father. Because his father had flown to Colorado from North Carolina, he said he just wanted to talk to his dad, so investigators left the two alone in the interview room together. In the room, Chris told his father that him and Shanann had an argument when he brought up the idea of a separation. He said that Shanann killed the children, so he had to kill Shanann. Mind you, all of this is being recorded. So investigators suspected that Chris wanted to talk to his father about this first to see if his father believed the story before saying it to investigators. So Chris claimed that Shanann either choked the girls or smothered them. His father asked if the children were dead, to which he stated they were blue. 
He claimed that in a fit of rage, he did the same to Shanann. Chris's father broke down at this confession. I mean, of course, who wouldn't? You know, he lost his two grandbabies. His daughter-in-law and now his child is stating this and his he's hurting for his child, right? So investigators went ahead and ran with this theory. Even though they didn't believe it, they just went ahead and ran with it. So authorities asked if he was okay with the public knowing that Shanann hurt the children. He said, yes, I did not hurt these girls. To investigators, at this exact moment in the investigation, they didn't really care who killed who because they just wanted to find their bodies. They would establish who committed what act at a later date, but right now, their prime objective is to get to their bodies. So while questioning where the bodies were, Chris was crying, still trying to plead that he did not know what else to do. But it was apparent that investigators were not interested in his lamenting because it wasn't genuine. To investigators, it seemed like he was crying because he was caught. It didn't seem like he was crying because he lost his girls, right? They just wanted to know where Shanann and the babies were. Officers were dispatched to the oil field where Chris claimed to have disposed of the bodies. He is more worried about what people will think of him. His father asked if the bodies were buried in something to which he responded that Shanann was. But the children were in the oil tanks. After receiving this information about the family, investigators then continued to question Chris. They claimed that from his pictures, it appears that he had a new life and the only way to obtain and keep that new life was to get rid of his old life. Which again, the same thing always pops up. Why not just get a divorce, right? So investigators further claimed that they believed Chris killed the little girls that night before their mother returned home and then murdered his wife. At this point, authorities believe Chris to be a family annihilator, which is something that we would, we are all, you know, thinking that's obvious, isn't it? I mean, he killed his whole family. But this is an actual term used to profile a murderer. Family annihilators are those who are generally in their 30s, commits the murder on weekends, generally an act which is thought out and is committed through stressors and affairs. So with the family going through a financial struggle at the time and having an affair in relation to his age, Chris Watts perfectly matches this profile. Killers who are classified as family annihilators are considered very rare, which is something that is somewhat good news because they are completely unpredictable. You never know when someone who is classified as this type of killer is going to strike. And usually when you do finally classify them as this type of killer, they've already committed their act. So when Shanann and the girls arrive home after their six-week excursion in North Carolina, Shanann had to go for a two-night stay in Arizona. Before leaving, she left Chris this handwritten note for him, pouring all of her emotions into the letter. She stated how much she missed him, his morning breath, how much she missed his smile while playing with the kids, and just how much she truly loved and missed him. She even wrote that, you know, even though she did not get along with his family, she was willing to try to make it work. Like, if that was a big concern in the relationship, she's willing to work on that so that they could still be together. But investigators believe that while Shanann was on her trip, Chris was already starting to put his plan into motion. He knew he was going to kill her, so he didn't care about the note. He didn't care about the heartfelt attempts she was trying to make to salvage their marriage. That Saturday night, he got a babysitter and went out. He went to a little bar and spent $65. 
Like, if you wanted to spend $65, you had to work toward that goal if it was just by yourself. So Chris knew that Shanann would see the amount because she was always on top of their finances. The only explanation there was for this, for this price, was that he did not go alone. And he just did not care that he was being blatantly obvious about it, right? On August 12th, 2018, the Watts family home security clocked Chris coming home at 10.30 p.m., which Shanann knew something was up at this point, even though she was in Arizona. At the airport, she finally confided her frustrations to her friend Nicole Atkinson, the friend who dropped her off and requested the wellness check at the beginning of this podcast. She tried to contact her husband, but he was busy working out. She told her friend she hardly gets to speak with him anymore because all he wants to do is work out. Throughout the trip, she continues to try to make contact with Chris to no avail. According to Chris, he stated that when Shanann returned home from her business trip, he told her he didn't want to be married anymore. He had a new girlfriend and he just, he just did not want this life anymore. That's when Shanann left the room and strangled the girls which no one believed this to be true because that is not a reaction a normal person has. I mean, if the person had mental health issues, maybe that would be a reaction, you know, you would consider, I guess. I don't know. That kill your kids is entirely against human nature. That is not something parents are programmed to do. Just in the survival instance, I mean, from, you know, wanting your species to survive, you don't murder your children, you know? It's against the, the laws of life, basically. Between saying Shanann did it and then Chris actually doing it, it's just dumbfounding, you know? Because you can't relate. You cannot... It goes against all your baser instincts, you know? But investigators still needed Chris's help finding the bodies. The oil field is a 35,000 acre land that is just too large to search. They need the area to be, you know, narrowed down so that they could find the bodies. So they showed him a bird's eye view of the property and asked him to point out where they would be able to, you know, find the bodies. Like, whereabout? Officers on the scene were mortified by the location of his daughters. He stuffed them in the oil wells, which the hatch of these wells were no larger than the size of a paper plate. It baffles the mind as to how he would have stuffed a child into this hole, let alone two children. Investigators hoped that having him relive what happened that night would not only make him confess, but also show some remorse. Unfortunately, he showed no sign of anything but denial to accept what he had done. In an attempt to escape the death penalty, he agreed to accept the charges of the death of his wife and children. In November 2018, Chris received five life sentences without the possibility of parole. An additional 84 years was also tacked onto his sentence for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy and tampering with deceased bodies. During his sentencing, he refused to make a statement, which if he truly didn't do this, you would expect him to still plead his case on record that Shanann murdered the children and in turn, he murdered her. Or, you know, just fess up to the whole crime. But he said nothing. No statement. So he pled guilty, received life in prison. There is no trial, no evidence, just nothing. He doesn't have to say anything further about it. Just nothing. It has left many with unanswered questions. No one received the answers they deserved as to how a parent could murder their child. Four months into his conviction, he decided that he does have more to say. So he sat down with investigators and decides that he will tell the truth. He said that he just felt like Shanann knew what was going on. And Saturday night was kind of the last straw. 
going out with somebody and using our actual bank account card and just like not trying to hide it at all. I felt her get into bed. She started rubbing her hand on me and we ended up having sex. But when I woke up later on in the morning, I pretty much told her, you know, I didn't think it was going to work anymore. And she was like, what happened? What was last night? She said, I knew there was somebody else. I knew there was somebody else. I knew there was somebody else. I couldn't just say, yes, there's somebody else. But then she said, you're never going to see the kids again. You're never going to see them again. Get off me. The investigators then asked him, you know, what happened? Chris stated that he told Shanann that he didn't love her anymore and that's when he put his hands around her and that was it. He continued that it was like it was an idea that was implanted in his mind that that's what he was going to do that morning and he didn't understand why he couldn't just let go. The agent then asked what his wife did while he was strangling her. And he said she just laid there. She didn't even fight back. He killed her not long after being intimate with her. And it confuses and baffles a lot of people, including psychologists. Because this was not, you know, a common interaction. When Bella walked in the room, she asked her daddy, What's wrong with mommy? Shanann was face down in the bed with the sheet over her. And it was the bed sheet that he had wrapped her in and used to bury her. That's when, you know, he backed up the truck and placed Shanann on the floor in the back seat with the babies who were questioning if their mommy was okay. To which Chris kept telling them that she would be fine. At this point, Shanann is dead and his daughters are alive. He brought them to the location where he planned on disposing of his wife's body. Once he arrived, he put a blanket over Cece's head and then did the same to Bella. Their autopsies showed that they were likely smothered. The autopsy conducted on Shanann showed that she had Oxycontin in her system. Chris admitted that he had been secretly giving her Oxycontin to try and terminate her pregnancy. He also later admitted in a letter that he initially tried to smother his children first before returning to bed with his wife. So when the two babies came into the room after he strangled Shanann, he was surprised. Both appeared as though they had been through some horrific trauma with bruised eyes, which obviously they would, considering that he tried to smother them. Anyway... For many, including myself who has a child, it is hard to imagine doing anything to put your child's life in danger. It's hard to imagine being capable of committing such an atrocious act. Your child trusts you, they depend on you, and you just... He's a monster, I'm sorry. Just, he's, he's just a monster. Chris Watts destroyed so many lives with his selfish actions and he didn't just destroy the lives of his immediate family but tossed a whole community into mourning because there were a lot of people in their neighborhood that loved Shanann and those babies. Even the main detective on the case retired from PTSD directly associated with this case. Shanann's father stated the year following the death of his daughter and grandchildren had become the target of cyberbullying and even received death threats, which is something I was just like, what? It shocked and appalled me because there are people out there that believe Chris is innocent, but that doesn't mean you can just go and target the people who, you know, lost their loved one. It's just insane how that came about. But anyway, I included the link to this father's statement in the show notes if you want to have a look at them. So my heart goes out to this family, this community, and the investigators, especially the investigators who were keeping their emotions in check while conducting the interview. I mean, it takes a bigger person to show that that much restraint when it comes to the welfare of children. And... Needless to say, I would fail miserably at that job. But something that I want to know is if Shanann's friend hadn't arrived at the house to check on her, 
how long it would have taken for Chris to stay, you know, his family was missing. Like, what was his plan? Did he really believe that he would be able to get away with this and run off into the sunset with his mistress? Currently, Chris Watts spends his days at Dodge Correctional Institute working as a custodian. He is said to largely keep to himself, but he does spend a lot of time corresponding with a number of pen pals. Most of, if not all, seem to be female. And that's another topic for another day. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts about this case? Do you think Chris Watts' punishment fits his crime? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. And if you have a, a case you would like to request also, please feel free to leave that in the comments as well. And as always, stay safe and I will see you again for the next episode. Bye.